This is Prayer Room Companion, episode 20 for September 1st, 2010. How long, O Lord? Welcome to This Week in Prayer Room Companion. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and with me again is Father Andy Dickinson. How are you, Father? I'm doing excellent, Dr. Bergwald. Excellent. Back to you. Um, Last week, for those of you who listened to the previous episode, uh, Father was preparing for um, the return of students to campus. Um, The tidal wave, the tsunami of students that was about to send upon him. And I think um, the the tidal wave has made landfall. Is that correct, Father? That is correct. Uh, Saturday morning, they all came rolling in and you uh, went from zero students around to around 12,000. 12,000? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a little. Well, I would imagine that requires a little bit of adjustment on your part. Just a little bit of schedule, and of course, for us, this is prime operation time and prime outreach time here at the Newman Center. Uh, it's been an amazing start to our fall, actually, uh, through our focus missionaries, through our student leaders, uh, outreach that way. In fact, on that first day of student move-in, we had a little get together, a little party that night at the Newman Center, lawn games, some dancing, uh, some. Uh, games downstairs like ping pong probably had almost 250 uh, students that came uh, through here throughout that night it was wow. awesome that is awesome it is and then we continued that going with masses on sunday of course and some some more social time and then monday we had a uh, kind of the campus outreach fair all the student organizations on campus get together in one spot and students come through and kind of you hunting for those new students in fact it was kind of ironic our newman center booth was right across the way, uh, right across the hall from uh, two very interesting booths. One was the uh, Secularists, Agnostics, and Atheists student group. (laughs) And the other one was the uh, pro-woman, pro-choice type group that brought in an anti-purity speaker last spring. Oh, well, you know, that strikes me as providential. Did you have any interactions out of curiosity with the... uh, I did. I, I myself didn't. I, I reserved myself the way, but some of my focus missionaries and my student leaders did uh, with them as well in a pretty good and pretty friendly way to engage them. Uh, but it just comes kind of goes back to that old saying, location, location, location. location exactly. Well, and that actually, um, you know, atheists, agnostics and secularists, that flows pretty well into uh, the topic that Father and I are going to talk about this week, which is the problem of evil, the problem of suffering, the problem of pain, and and how we as Catholics, as Catholic Christians, uh, respond to that. Because one of the big arguments which um, atheists make in their own evangelistic efforts, so to speak, um, to try to draw others into their unbelief, um, is raising the question of, of the problem of evil. Uh, and so Father and I thought that... Um, this might be a good a good topic uh, as the school year is beginning for for the students there and, and certainly elsewhere um, around the country. This is a perennial question that um, is so often raised, particularly on college campuses, but of course um, everywhere uh, everywhere else as well. Um, how can God allow these sorts of things to happen? So, Father. I, if talking about this problem of evil, um, how it's used as an indictment against God, um, how does the argument go in, in your experience? Well, in my experience, it usually comes along some lines of our students are always very filled with joy and always eager to evangelize through joy, that uh, the joy of the Christian life is one of the best ways to convince 
their peers uh, that the Christian life is worth living and, and the effort of the Christian life is worth it. And some of the pushback, uh, the resistance that they usually get comes down to, well, that's all well and good. I'm happy that you feel happy about God, but what about all these other people that don't feel blessed? What about all these people that suffer? What about uh, disasters? We just had the f- uh, five-year anniversary of Katrina. Uh, what about the tsunami in Asia? What about war? And that always kind of becomes the the big club, if you will, to with which to hit a Christian over the head with. What's your answer to that with your good God? Right, and I and I think when it's um, the, the uh, when it's put in a more I don't know formal context, maybe trying to make a more philosophical argument about it. Um, it typically, in my experience, goes something like this: If God is all good. And if God is all-powerful um, and all-loving, then he wouldn't allow evil and suffering. Uh, but evil and suffering happen, therefore he must either be not all-good, not all-powerful, or not all-loving. Um, sort of, yeah, that, that's the standard way that I hear it. I think informally, too, though, um, we often, um, at least I hear it, I'm guessing you do as well. Uh, if, God, if God has the ability to prevent suffering, why doesn't he prevent suffering? Um, I, I've got four kids myself. Um, if I could take away, if, if, if they're in pain, maybe they hurt themselves or whatever, I try to take away that pain. If God is an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good father, why wouldn't he stop the suffering of his children just, just as we do? Very much so. And I think it also becomes on that personal level that I find with the college students is that they have that experience of failure or suffering or unhappiness in their own life that has led them to, in some ways, doubt the existence of God. Well, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. I hoped for this and it didn't happen. I really wanted this and it didn't happen, which creates in their own hearts that skin of disbelief, if you will, or that, or that presence of doubt. And I think even the voice of the evil one that enters into their hearts and says, God, would a God whose love really not have done that for you? Right, and I think I think um, in all the, well, in many at least I shouldn't not necessarily all, but in many of those cases, I think the, those sort of questions, um, at least the questions, um, are, are completely plausible. I can understand why. I mean, I've been in circumstances like that where I've you know why why is this happening? Uh, you know, I think of the, there's a quote from or a line in Isaiah: "How long, O Lord?" Uh, in a different context, but I think, why, why God, I believe in you, but I know you are real, but why are you allowing this to happen? Some, for some people, though, it can go beyond that and really say, you know, I, I don't think that God exists. I, I remember watching, um, a, a, I don't remember, a year or so, maybe after um, the, the terrorist attacks on September 11th in 2001, Frontline did a special um, on PBS um, talking about faith in God um, and I think it was called Faith and Doubt at Ground Zero. Um, so people's belief, and, and for some people, just the, the fact that this, the, 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 these, those attacks happened led them to disbelief. That, that How could God allow people to do this to one another? But the, the, and unfortunately, I think maybe as Americans, we don't experience that, but throughout human history, including now, that's obviously the reality. We do horrible things to each other. And, and other natural disasters happen. You mentioned Katrina, uh, the tsunamis that happened um, in, uh, in Asia. I mean, I'll, obviously there's great suffering uh, in the world. 
the uh, I, you know, probably the most uh, profound suffering of the past hundred years or so, of course, uh, the Holocaust in that way, you know, and, and some very striking and sad uh, literature that's come out of that. Eli Weissel's Night, uh, who Eli Weissel, who was a Jewish survivor of uh, uh, the concentration camps, and then uh, even just kind of in that, in that Jewish tradition again as well. I'm forgetting his name right now. But the rabbi uh, from New York who lost his son, I believe, and he wrote the book, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Right. Yeah, that's one of the, the classic formulations. Why do bad things happen to good people? I, I'm trying to do what what God asks of me, and these things happen. Um, why? What's the reason? And again, I think that, that can get put even more strongly where people uh, will lead, um, will, will, it will lead them into doubt. So, so faced with that question, um, the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. Um, how do we as Catholics respond? Um, what's the what's the Catholic answer to this this perennial problem? Um, and not just I don't think at an academic, purely intellectual level. I mean, really, this is this these are things that happen to people. So, um, to state the obvious. So how do we as Catholics not just give them intellectual answers, but how how do we engage people, help them? Um, when they're in the midst of suffering, when they're in the midst of of pain, when they when they're in the midst of of receiving evil, uh, and I think, Father, one, a fundamental point here is is the fact, the truth, that God does not positively desire our suffering. He may allow it, but He does not positively will it. And this this strikes me as a crucial point. It certainly is that crucial point. This goes back to that original notion of the goodness of God. And, and some of those questions that will come out, how does an all-good, all-loving, all-powerful God allow this to happen? And so right away at the beginning, we're, we're going to reaffirm, reaffirm as Catholics all those things. He is all-good. He is all-loving. He is all-powerful. And our answer intellectually and ex- existentially can still be found within uh, that goodness, beauty, and truth of God. So right. the question then becomes for us, where does evil come from? If he doesn't desire it, then what sort of answer uh, do you as Catholics have from the Catholic perspective? We have to know this of where that evil comes from. And I think with that sense of uh, evil, the question of evil, of course, as Catholics, we're going to go someplace where we're not comfortable. We're going to go to the Bible, you know, and look at our origins of evil, the origins of uh, these things in our life. Right. Uh uh, and specifically, of course, what do you have in mind with Scripture? Well, of course, we've got to go to the fall. You know, we've got to go to creation. And uh, I, started, I started talking about creation this way uh, with sixth graders back at, uh, Holy, uh, back, back at John Paul II School in uh, Mitchell, South Dakota, in my first assignment uh, as a young priest, uh, calling to mind uh, the, the old adage of uh, now Archbishop Dolan in New York, who wrote in his book that, uh, once you've been to theology school, you can find out whether or not you learned anything when you go to teach the elementary school students. That's yeah. when you know whether you've really learned your theology. Right. Well, and so I talked with them about Genesis with the sixth graders that year and talking about it as a book of why. Of course, a book of why. Genesis is not necessarily a book of how, but it's a book of why. Why is there a world? Why is there these things? Why is there man and woman? Uh, and it actually gets to the point of why is there evil in that sense? Why is there evil? That evil in that sense starts out as that turning away or that choosing away from God, that 
that humanity had with our free will. And so there's a couple important things that we want to dig into uh, in a deliberate way. And the first is uh, uh, that free will. And the second is that that choosing away from God. That's how we can understand uh, evil in that sense. That uh, we are created, in a sense, for good or for evil, with, with free choice, free will, and God gives us the option of choosing for and against him. And that, that, that's always been part of what it means to be me. And I think, the, the, to me, one of the important things to remember here is, why is that? Uh, because God, wa- God created us desiring that we would enter into relationship with him. He didn't need to do that. He created us um, out of freedom and not out of need. But on our part, in order to love God, we must be free. Love requires freedom. Um, Nobody can compel my my wife could not force me to love her. I cannot force um, her to love me. It it requires freedom. And so if if, if God was going to create beings uh, that he wanted to love him in return, um, then he had to give them freedom. Uh, so, Dr. Bergwald, what you're saying is that the 1980s teen heartthrob movie, Can't Buy Me Love, <laughs> is really right? <laughs> or that love potion number nine is is a myth? It is sad to say, Father. Well, I don't know sad to say. Um, it is a myth. I think it's probably happy to say in the end. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, you cannot buy love, and there is no such thing as love potion. Uh, even though I think people keep trying uh, trying now and again. Um, so God created us out of love and with his freedom. But the, the, the risk is, of course, that he was that he took is that we would choose someone else or something else. And that's what had with, happened with Adam and Eve. Um, they fell, they disobeyed God, and as a consequence then of their choice against God, um, evil entered into the world. And And... Father, what does that mean when we say that? We say that a lot. Evil entered into the world. Where is it? Where do I see it? Where can I touch it? Well, uh, evil in that sense, uh, entering into the world, it's uh, there's kind of two ways that we experience it. And we can go again to Genesis chapter 3 to look at the fall and, and the way that evil entered. Evil first entered in, of course, through Adam and Eve's choice. You know, they knew what they were supposed to do. They knew that they could eat of any of the trees any of the fruit of the tree in the garden, except for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they decide uh, in that sin, there's that decision, that choice, that will against God, that will away from God, that choosing of uh, what is against uh, his goodness and his plan for them, all the bounty that he's provided for them. So that sin, that evil in that sense, first resides in their heart, in that choice. And we see that that evil, that choice that has impact on the world around them even, as the privileged uh, first humans, as a privileged first uh, of humanity in that way that they have, that it has impact on the world around them. And we will classically talk about the four effects of sin in the world, that sin created, uh, because of that turning away from God, sin created first a separation of man from God, it created second a separation of man from his fellow man, it created third, a separation of man within himself. And if created fourth, then that separation from man and creation. Uh, and so we can see that, of course, in uh, you can see the separation of man from God. That's pretty obvious. Adam and Eve hiding 
uh, from God when they hear him coming uh, to walk in the garden in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter 3. We hear about Adam and Eve uh, being that antagonism against each other. You know, the woman made me do it. Okay, kind of the blaming. Now, we also see that separation of themselves and that shame, right? They, they have to cover up in fig leaves because of that shame. They realize the fact that they can do evil now, that they can choose to violate the freedom of another. And there's that internal fight within them. And then we also see that enmity against the, the created world between uh, the serpent and the woman, that the serpent will strike at uh, her offspring's heel and he will strike at his head. And also just in the sense of the toil and labor of the earth, that no longer will you freely eat from the fruit of the land, but now by the sweat of your brow uh, shall you earn your food. Right, so it's 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 not as if God created evil. Evil is is the lack or is is the fruit, so to speak, of our choice as human beings. The first man or woman, and then unfortunately, each and every one of us ever since, um, with a couple of important exceptions, of course, um, Mary and her son Jesus. Um, and I think a good way to always think about it uh, that I that I come upon is that evil, in a sense, is a self-made aloneness a self-made aloneness in that we look at those four effects of evil, that it's all of it is an aloneness, a separation, right. uh, alone from God, alone from your fellow man, alone even yourself. They don't even know yourself. And then alone and apart from uh, the created world. Exactly. And I think the important thing, again, to remember, I want to reiterate, is that God does, did not desire any of this. Um, in his eternity, um, he knew and foresaw what would happen. Uh, he sees everything in the, the eternal now, it's sometimes called. Um, God exists out of time, so he sees all of it. But he did not desire or will their sin, nor the evil that flowed from it. I think, uh, you know, you, you hear the adage sometimes, um, you need to break a few eggs in order to make an omelet. Um, sometimes you have to do bad things for some greater good. That is not God's purpose. God does not require evil happen so he can fulfill some greater purpose. He allowed Adam and Eve in their freedom, and he allows us in our freedom to choose against him. Um, and, and, and despite our poor choices, he is able to work his greater good. But he does not require and does not positively desire or will um, that the evil would happen. I think it's an important point. It's a very important point. So we that's we cannot ahead. throw that out with the bathwater. We can't, uh, in the face of someone's struggles, maybe the uh, crying widow, uh, the suffering uh, homeless person. We can't say, "Well, God's going to turn some good out of it." And sometimes that can be our easy reaction is to try and justify that evil in God's eye of things. And no, we're that isn't how God works. He's not going to. Uh, do a good re- he's not going to do an evil action for the sake of a good result right he, he may allow it and he's able to bring good out of it but he does not positively desire that evil thing to happen um, so, so that's sort of a, you know in a sense a, an intellectual answer why is there evil why is there suffering well it's because of our our sins, our poor choices. Um, but when somebody is in the midst of suffering, um, that sort of intellectual answer is not usually, not always, certainly um, satisfying. So why? Still, so that, that so that deeper why? Uh, and 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 we have to push on. I think, um, in fairness, and address that deeper sort of existential angst of why this happens. And we see a first attempt at well, at least 
one attempt, probably more, but one attempt in the Old Testament in particular that, that I think we should look at is um, th- from the book of Job. Uh, Father, want to give us a quick sketch of, of what Job has to tell us? Well, the book of Job uh, is a book about a man who's a God-free man, a good man, uh, walking in the ways of the Lord uh, with uh, a large family, with uh, a large estate, and uh, he is tested by, uh, he's permitted to be tested by God uh, in, in the dialogue of the book. Uh, and Satan uh, strikes him, uh, strikes his household so that his children uh, tragically die. His possessions are wiped out. And he himself is afflicted with uh, suffering and pain, but he's not, uh, but not to the point of death. Not to the point of death. So he's under great, great anguish in this way. And in the midst of this, he's looking for that answer. He doesn't get angry with God. He doesn't lash out against God, even though his friends uh, uh, and his wife even say, "What? You know, what, give up the ghost. Why don't you just be angry with God?" But he still uh, knows that God is righteous, and he tries to stay with our Lord in that way. And, and in that, is seeking uh, for those answers. But in the end, um, when God manifests Himself to Job. Um, he does not give Job the answers he's looking for. Uh, he, Job is aware of God's um, omnipotence, that God is almighty, um, that he is infinite in wisdom and in power, um, and that, in a sense, he doesn't need to answer to Job. Uh, God does not answer to us. Uh, and, and for Job, that is enough. Uh, he recovers his humility. He recovers his trust in God. Um, and, and God rewards him for not having cursed him. Um, so I think from, from Job, we, we arrive at the truth that God is beyond our comprehension. We cannot fully understand him. Um, his ways are not our ways, so to speak. And, and, and Job, that's enough for Job. But I, I think that while it's true that we should be like Job, um, in fact, we, for most of us, it's, it's, it's too much. It's too difficult. Um, the, the, the Job is, in a sense, incomplete or at least insufficient for most of us. Um, God is not under the obligation to go further um, to, to give greater response to the problem of pain. Um, I think the, Job, Job's, the, the book of Job is uh, sufficient in its answer in that sense, but nonetheless, he does go further, um, going all the way, in fact, to the cross. Correct, Father? That is correct. The cross becomes God's ultimate in the, in the sense of greatest and ultimate in the sense of final uh, answer to suffering and pain on the cross. Of course, uh, we mean there the glorious and triumphant cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That God, uh, who to save us, didn't simply you know, reach a hand down to us to try and pull us out of suffering and pain and sin and evil, but actually allowed himself to enter into that. God, who knew no suffering, uh, entered into suffering. Uh, and in a sense, if you want to think about it, of that, of that pit of suffering, that pit of evil, that God, uh, in taking on human flesh in the incarnation, entered down into that with us to uh, bring us up. Right. Uh, and and, and um, that... In that we we can it, well, 
there's still some responsibility on our part to, to recognize that Christ uh, does lift us up, that, that he underwent that suffering and that he is present to us. He is, in a sense, walking with us when we are in the midst of our own suffering. Very much so. Uh, and, that, and then that's the greatest, to me, that's the greatest thing. And we can think about this even from, uh, if we want to look at it from our experiential point of view. Uh, when we are in suffering, when we're, uh, whether it's through the loss of a loved one, whether it's through illness, whether it's through tragedy, uh, whether it's through just simply fright of a bad thing possibly happening, happening, what are we most looking for? When we're looking for someone to be in that experience with us. It's going to be in that experience with us. And in the incarnation, in the cross, God gives his perfect answer to that. Jesus Christ, who is with us. That, you know, he, you know then think about the suffering on the cross again. It wasn't just simply that physical suffering of nails and whips and thorns uh, and the, the suffocation of the cross. The suffering was also emotional right. in that way, in the sense that he was abandoned by his friends. Okay, you know, Judas, must you betray me with a kid? We have to remember that the sufferings of Christ are not simply a physical suffering. It's not just simply nails and lance and thorns and suffocation, but his suffering was in the wholeness of his humanity. And as much as he was human, he suffered. Uh, and so he suffered uh, emotional bereavement. Okay, he was separated uh, and abandoned by those whom he loved. You know, his words, Judas, must you betray me with a kiss? Uh, imagining uh, for a moment his look at Peter when Peter denies him uh, before uh, before the rooster crows, right? And the sadness he probably had in his eyes that caused Peter to weep so bitterly as he was looked on by uh, the suffering Lord. And then even uh, the mystery of him experiencing as a human person, of course, that mystery of uh, the suffering of being separated from God in some way or feeling abandoned by God as on the cross he prays, uh, begins to pray that most beautiful uh, Psalm uh, 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and of course, in quoting the beginning of that Psalm, praying the whole of the Psalm of uh, the person who is attacked and beset upon on all sides by evil, and in that feeling the abandonment of God. And so in this, in the incarnation, in Jesus Christ, in that human uh, experience, in as much as he was human, he experienced the fullness of human suffering so that now in our own suffering, we are no longer alone. Right. Christ suffered um, in his passion and death uh, in a real sense, truly, more than anyone else. No one has suffered as much as Christ. Therefore, he has, as you, you the image of the, the pit you used earlier, he has entered into the depths of the pit of, of suffering, um, the depths of pain and evil. Uh, and therefore, because no one can suffer, um, can experience evil or pain as much as him, uh, he is able to be present to every one of us, um, every single human being in the midst of their suffering. Uh, and if they can be aware of his presence as is mediated to them, whether it's through loved ones, more directly, um, however, they, they're aware of Christ's presence, uh, he can help them endure the, the, the sufferings, uh, endure the trials which they are enduring. Very much so. And that's, that becomes that ultimate answer to someone who says, how can you believe in that good God 
uh, if uh, if he allows the sufferings of a Katrina, the sufferings of a World Trade Center, the sufferings of a Holocaust, as I can say, because I believe the good God didn't leave us alone in that suffering, and that he was there with us. Exactly. And that, go ahead, sorry. And, and that he was there with us, and that he will not leave us alone in any suffering to come in the future. And so that he is always available to be turned to in that uh, in that, in the burden of that suffering. And I think the important thing to remember too, going back to how we started with this, with uh, college campuses and, and, and um, uh, atheists and others raising the, the, the problem of evil as an objection to, to God's existence. Um, I think there is, as we sort of sketched here, and there's much more that could be said, but as we sketched here, there is a response intellectually and existentially to the problem of evil from our perspective. Uh, but there's also... Um, a response that we can make to, uh, or uh, uh, something we can throw back to the others, um, to non-believers, which is that, what's your answer? Um, what's the answer they can offer? Uh, what's the answer that you can provide to the problem of evil, to the pro- problem of suffering? Um, the, the atheist has no response um, to the problem of evil at all. Because for the atheist, the world... Um, is without meaning. Um, the, the world is, is the product of random choice. Uh, the, 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 there is no greater purpose in the world, and therefore there is no way to make any sense of suffering at all. Uh, would you say that's a fair, a fair point to make in response, Father? That's a very good uh, response to make, and never be afraid to turn it back on the one who's questioning you. Right, um, that they don't have... They don't have any 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 they they don't have an answer at all. They they use it that question as as a sword against us. But in fact, while we have some response, they have nothing. Like most swords, it cuts both ways. <laughs> it does. Indeed. And and the worst part is, I can't imagine being alone and suffering. You know, uh, I'm 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 nearing right now the fourth anniversary of uh, my dad's death, uh, a sudden unexpected death after a very short illness. And for me, the consolation remains, as I look back at it, that the whole time that God was true to his name of Emmanuel, you know, that name that we see at Christmas over and over again, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? And Emmanuel means God is with us. And he was with my family in that suffering, in that burden. And he's been with me in every other experience that way. And that's why I can believe in him. He is present to you. Uh, as you said, God is with us. Um, Obviously, Father, this is a this is a topic that um, you know we've tried to sketch an answer to. But particularly for those who are in the midst of great suffering and great pain, listening to a podcast might hopefully give some some answers to some degree. But certainly, I would encourage along these lines of of of, uh, of not being alone. Encourage anybody who is experiencing great suffering and has questions about that to go to the. Uh, they, maybe their parish priest, uh, maybe a friend who's strong in the faith, but but to seek um, consolation from those around them and, and and greater answers perhaps than uh, than we can address in a podcast like this. And certainly not to be afraid to seek the consolation of the cross. Uh, and to me, that's why it's so beautiful that we have the crucifix, not just a bare empty cross, but the crucifix, where we can be reminded visibly, physically in every way 
that Christ did not forsake us in our suffering, but entered into it. Absolutely. And I think that, Father, I think that's a great way to leave things, that, that Christ um, has entered into our suffering and therefore is with us in our time of need. So that's it for this episode of Pray Rome Companion, a more um, heavier topic maybe than the last other ones the, that we have offered to you. Um, Father, any final thoughts? Uh, I just, I think it's a line that keeps coming back to me, but from the Stations of the Cross that we pray, uh, hopefully uh, not just during Lent, but maybe also on Fridays during the year. Uh, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Amen. All right, this has been Pray Rome Companion with Dr. Chris Bergwald, Father Andrew Dickinson. Uh, please tune in next time. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Thank you, and God bless.